Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have a Q&A. We have a full Q&A of a lot of great questions and a lot of off-the-chart names that Travis struggles to pronounce, but it was funny. You're going to get a laugh, and it was really good uh, as he's staring at me while I'm filming, recording this intro. Uh, so today's Q&A, we dive into a lot of really good questions. Um, we share some old stories as well. Uh, it's, it's been a blast having Travis back and being able to actually talk to somebody while I'm doing these podcasts, and I think you're going to see that. So if you like the show, do me a huge favor. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Take a screenshot of the episode. Head over to Instagram. Post on your story, tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom. I want to thank you for listening and I want to share it on my story as well. And last but not least, if you want to check out any supplements, please go to our sponsors page that is topnotchnutrition.com slash boom boom, or you can click the link in the description and save 10 to 15% off. Without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Check, check. See my new water bottle? No. Dope. That's sick, huh? Yeah. Mom, wood, wood grain? Yeah, my mom made it for oh. me made it yeah or i mean she didn't carve it oh well <laughs> but that's what that means <laughs> i mean i wouldn't put it past her she is kind of like that but um it's dope hit up the everything oven. tailored dude yeah literally new shirt you see this black on black sick that's where do you get that from brent northwest yeah customized it it's not available on the store that we have which Nothing. by the way people if you want to wear a tailored coaching method shirt you can get a hoodie or a shirt on uh Whatever the link is in the show notes, we'll link it in there. I can't remember. It's like it's. I think it's called like tailored dot or TCM dot print Northwest or something like that. Yeah. But I'll link it. But we have a bunch of people buying them in the in the Facebook group and shit and repping it. It's just it, to me, it's a. I mean, I'm biased. It's a dope logo though. Yeah. So it actually no, it looks definitely is actually looks cool wearing yeah. it. Like I feel like like I would rock it. Yeah. Even if I wasn't part of it. Yeah. Or trained with you or yeah. anything. Yeah. Especially <laughs> these ones are cool too because they have that like scoop, whatever cut on the uh, bottom I, think, side. I think it's called like a scallop cut or something like that so it's not just like a normal shirt it's like fitted differently and stuff gotcha but they're dope man i'll probably get a tailored tattoo soon too across my knuckles real t- oh my god actually literally tailored Whoa. would fit perfectly across my knuckles yeah i'd do it if, if it wasn't for shannon yeah shannon said no hands no hands and neck and i'm like all right just forehead <laughs> you didn't say face <laughs> All right, let's get into this. Yep. All right, we're going to start off with the first question here, guys. We got McKinley Ward. I was wondering if you could explain how to program using RIR. Would you use it? Would you use this more for compound lifts, or would would it apply to both compound and accessory movements? Yeah. So RIR stands for reps in reserve, um, kind of like RPE. Yep. But in the inverse, I think it's more applicable. Uh, the program you're running right now uses RPE, I think. Correct. Right. Um, so RPE is like, so an eight RPE is like, you're going on a scale of one to 10, eight. Right. But if the rep count is six, it can be kind of challenging to think about like, okay, well, 
how many reps in the tank do I leave on that? How hard do I go with reps in reserve? It's the same thing, but inverse and a little bit different where it's like, if you have a set of six and you have a two RIR, you leave two reps in the tank. It's very obvious reps in reserve mm -hmm. is two. You have two, two reps left. Same uh, as that concept. It's the same concept. Okay. It's just a, it's, it's a, the same type of tool and it has the same outcome. It's just, a, in my opinion, it's a little bit easier for most people to use. It just makes more sense. RIR. Yeah. Mm -hmm. RPE was originally uh, built for endurance. So, like, people who would run marathons and, like, long distances, they would use RPE as a way to gauge how hard their pace was. Because if you have to run for an hour straight and you don't know your pace, you might, like, kind of blow your load, so to speak, in the first 10 minutes. And then you're walking because you can't keep running. Um, and then somebody tried to convert it into powerlifting as yeah. a way to do their lifts. Um, and then high, uh, more people use RIR instead of like hypertrophy. Uh, but reps in reserve, I use it on everything. I mean, I, I don't just leave it to the compounds. I think just how you use it or like what RIR you're, you're using depends on the exercise. There we go. So on a compound, I'm probably going to have in most cases, like week one, like the, it might have, be like a three RIR. It's like hey, we're starting, we're going to do front squats this block. Get used to it. Leave three reps in the tank, focus on form. Week two might do the same thing. Week three, we might add a couple sets of uh, two RRR. Mm -hmm. So you're starting to leave less in the tank. And then like week three or four, you're doing like two and then even like one reps in reserve. And eventually you get to a point where like you finish your last set with like zero in the tank. Um, you're going near failure. But you don't spend much time in that like one to two. You spend more time in the two to three on the compound because it's just a like back squatting or front squatting or barbell bench pressing is more dangerous than a dumbbell posterior fly, right? And so like on a posterior fly, I'm going to use RIR as well, but it's going to be like zero or For one sure. because I don't care if you go to failure. You're not going to hurt yourself going to failure. And the systemic fatigue, so the fatigue over the entire system, nervous system, joints, uh, your psychology, the mental side of it, the muscular side of it is far lower compared to the systemic fatigue of a back squat or a trap bar deadlift. Because when you're lifting heavy with a compound lift, it's just draining. Yeah. It's taxing. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, nonetheless, you use RIR across the board. It's just like you usually use it more strategically to leave a few reps in the tank with compounds so you can focus on form and just slowly progressing. And you can take it closer to failure during the isolation work. But, again, it's just a way to gauge that. For you sure. know? And then the cool thing about that, too, is for some people on a deload week, I don't really have to – do anything except change the RIR. So we can leave the program completely uh, the same because a lot of people will be like, well, do I drop volume by 25%? Should I, how, how much should I lower intensity? What should my weight be? And it's like, hey, you, normally you're in the like one to two RIR. I want you to go like three to four. So every set you're leaving three to four in the tank. You're forced to go lighter and take it easier and you deload. How do you decide on how much you go lighter? What's your RIR? Right. So like if you're doing 200 pounds on a trap bar deadlift and it's a two RIR and I'm like, hey, it's delayed deload week make that a four when you're working up you'll just stop well before 200 because you're like oh i gotta leave four in the tank it's deload week gotcha. does that make sense yeah, yeah so you just kind of intuitively lower the weight as you go when you're doing your warm-up right yeah because it's it's different for everybody so for me to say like because i used to try to articulate it like hey like drop 20 percent of the load so if you have like you're now you're like 200 times 20 percent, and then you want to pull that off but for some people like if you're deadlifting 400 pounds like you might need it to be reduced by like 50%. Yeah. Because it's it's so much more, you know. It, like it's like the warm up question you asked me the other day. How many sets should I do for warm up? How heavy are you going? Yeah. You know, cuz it's it's all a relative. Like CJ took two extra warm up sets for me because he's repping 255 on the bench and I'm repping 205. 
So like I reached my working weight way before him. So I started my working sets before him. Gotcha. Um, the heavier you go, the more you warm up. Yeah. So I think it's just, I think it's all relative, but I love, I, I've been using RIR on, on all my programming. Most of the programs in the Taylor trainer now use RIR over RPE just because I think universally I've noticed more clients understand it just yeah. easier. That's how many I leave in the tank. Cool. For sure. For some reason, I I think it for personally it would be easier for you to say to me take off twenty percent just because, but the way you say it as in just think about when you're doing your warm up sets saying okay I, I just did five I have three more in the tank I might as well stay at this weight. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and when as you get used to a lift like you can kind of determine like okay if I'm leaving like if I go up to the bar and I'm like I got to leave four in the tank because it's deload. I'm just going to hit this weight. Yeah. And I already know because I've done this so many times before that I know my weights are in these certain places. Um, but I still think, yeah, I think, I think RIR is more applicable in some cases just because like your trap bar deadlift versus your bench press. Think about it. Like you can deadlift way more than you can bench press. Yeah. Most of us can. Yeah. So the, the percentage is going to be different. Yeah. You know, the total load is going to be different, but not the RIR can be the same. Yeah. It's universal. Yeah. All right. Next question is from Maddie Seats. Say you have you have an untrained individual and a trained individual. So both have the same stress levels, nutrition, hormones, etc. Would the trained individual recover from micro trauma better than the untrained individual? With all these variables being equal, or does it solely depend on the other factors like I mentioned, nutrition? Like would the inflammatory that's not the right word. No, Inflam- inflammatory. inflammatory. Yeah, like I'm the assuming. It, yeah, like the inflammatory re- response be different in the trained individual due to the greater a- adaptations to the training or the untrained individual. This is a good question. I think I think this would be a cool study. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll tell Brandon to do it. Hmm. Um, I, I think yeah. Ask. <laughs> we just have the college funded, dude. It's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Uh, I think it's hard to say. Um, so basically the question is, is like, would the trained individual recover from the same amount as the untrained individual? I think, um, I mean, first, uh, the said pr- principle, uh, specific adaptations, uh, I can't remember the whole said principle. I believe it's a said, said principle, but essentially like as you do something, it's kind of like the, re- the, the repeated bout effect as you do something, it's easier to adapt from. Yeah. Um, the more times you do anything, repetition, period, you just get better at it, right? And you can recover from it easier. Um, I mean, even like immunity, like we've talk, been talking about the virus and stuff like that. Once you get it, you can recover from it and you can like stay away from it and you yeah. have that immunity to it. Same thing happens in, in training. So the more you train, the better your body gets at adapting. So, um, and that's also why like you don't prescribe a beginner 20 sets per muscle group per week because they could get by with 10 and see great gains and probably still have to like really focus on recovery versus somebody who's advanced might need twice as much. Um, so I think it's, I think first and foremost, I think it's, it goes without saying that most likely the trained individual is probably going to recover better and faster just because the, the repeated, repeated bout effect, like they've just been doing this for so long. For sure. Um, the other part of the question was, would the inflammatory response be the same? Correct. So I, I think when, what she means by that is, there's there's this, uh, this like whole micro trauma thing she mentioned. There is a inflammatory response to the muscular tissue in the cell that causes it to grow, right? So 
um, you you stress the muscle. There, it creates a sense of inflammation and damage. Essentially, your body has to repair and recover that muscle, and then that muscle comes back bigger and stronger. It's like the process of just laying new muscle tissue, mm-hmm. right? Um, you eat protein. Protein is a building block, so on and so forth. But um, what they're finding more and more is that uh, muscle damage is more of a correlation than a causation, we believe. I'm actually doing another episode with – actually, I think it's tomorrow um, as we're recording this with uh, Mike Isretel because he wants to talk about just muscle damage, which is going to be cool. Um, but essentially, like what the science has shown is like muscle damage itself doesn't lead to muscle growth. It's just – part of the journey. Hmm. So what leads to muscle growth essentially is mechanical tension. How much tension can you place on the muscle fiber? Um, and that causes a sense of inflammation and muscle damage, but that muscle damage isn't the reason you're building muscle. It's that mechanical tension. So sometimes that's why the stimulus to fatigue ratio is great because if your stimulus is super high, but your fatigue ratio is pretty low, your stimulus to fatigue ratio is in a really good balance because you're getting a ton of mechanical tension and stress on the muscle, but it's not that fatiguing, meaning you can recover faster. Mm -hmm. But if you do an exercise that's like somewhat stimulus and like super fatiguing, now you're having more muscle damage, but less tension, right? So there's not really a benefit there. For sure. Um, So with her question, the inflammatory response, first we have to remember like the goal shouldn't be to to inflame the muscle necessarily. That's just a part of the journey. Like you're going to be sore and sometimes it's a proxy to let you know you're doing the right thing. So like sometimes people be like, oh, I'm pretty sore from yesterday. But if they say it with a smile, I'm like, perfect. That's a good thing. If they're like, fuck, dude, I can barely walk. I'm like, oh, shit, we went too hard. Yeah. Because that's not – that the stimulus to fatigue ratio is not good. But if you're if you're sore and you have muscle damage, it probably means you created enough mechanical tension. Um, but going back to the repeated bout effect, if I do the same program for four weeks straight, I'm starting to get better at recovering from those movement patterns and those intensities and ranges of motion that – I will have less inflammation and less muscle damage, but still that great amount of stimulus. And that's kind of like the sweet spot we want to be in, which happens with training experience. Gotcha. Um, All this to say, I think that the beginner is going to experience more inflammation because they're not used to that stimulus. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, But we also know that newbie gains are a thing. So like sometimes people gain rapidly at the beginning and – is that because of muscle damage or is that just because it's a new stimulus that they haven't experienced? We don't know yet. So, um, and I'm interested to, I mean, Mike is a researcher and a PhD, so I'm interested to what, what his concept is with this. But in general, I would say like most likely the, the trained individual is probably going to recover better. Um, I think that the, the untrained individual will have a greater inflammatory response because of the training. Yeah. But I don't know if we can say that, that's going to lead to better growth. Mm-hmm. Um, we can say that they're going to grow more because if you take me versus somebody who's never trained, we do the same program. This person's going to build muscle faster because I've spent the last nine years trying to build muscle, yeah. you know? Um, but there's also like the, the random, I mean, I'm in this zone where it's like, like it, it says, sounds weird saying it about myself, but like I'm growing at a crazy rate that I wouldn't expect being at such an advanced level. Do I've gained uh, nine pounds now? in the last like two months and it's like that's a lot of weight and i could still see my abs in the morning i'm not like ripped but like i'm definitely not getting fat so it's like why is this happening to me and and part of that is because surgery and stuff like that but it's also because we created such a new stimulus it's like okay let's really dial in this 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 and all these different things were essentially creating this this new it was like a newbie game because it's like i haven't been this dialed in in a while 
Um, so sometimes this is, uh, there's caveats to this whole theory, but yeah, I think in general, trained individuals are going to recover better and faster just because of the repeated bout effect, they've, they're used to it. Um, and untrained individuals are going to have a greater inflammatory response, but I don't think that's necessarily the reason they're growing. Um, uh, I think it's just a part of the process inside of growing. Yeah. It definitely happens. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer? Like, cause their question was just like, who has greater no, definitely. inflammatory response? All aspects of that. Yep. All right. Next question is from Megan Alice. BCAAs necessary, optimal for fast training, lifting, and cardio. Question. Um, I'm assuming she meant fasted training. Um, yep. For BCAAs necessary, optimal for fasted training. Okay. Um, so basically, like. Should you take BCAs if you're training fasted? Uh, you know, the, the science would say no. The bro in me says yes. Why not? Because it's like, well, I mean, it can't hurt. And that's the thing is like BCAs can't hurt. Um, but if you're getting enough net protein across your day, they're not really adding much benefit. And we have to remember too, like BCAs are, are isolated. So there's uh, valine, leucine, isoleucine. And – I believe that's what it is, and it's these these. It's a small section of the total amino acid profile. So if you drink a whey protein shake, you're not just getting these isolated ones. You're getting all the the amino acids. Um, and and this is a funny analogy, but it kind of works like uh, THC and and CBD. So um, and I'm not like a, an expert on that stuff, but I I know enough because I've dug into some of the research. And like CBD works better coupled with THC mm -hmm. because the whole plant yeah. has CBD and THC and, and a bunch of different can, uh, other cannabinoids, but they work in junction together much better than they do isolated. Absolutely. That's kind of how amino acids are as well. Yep. So if you take BCAs, they might do a little bit of something. You might see a small uh, muscle protein synthetic response, like a bump in muscle protein synthesis. But if you have a whey protein shake or even EAAs, essential amino acids, um, you're going to get more of a response and you're going to be better off. So I would recommend either doing EAAs or a full whey protein shake versus fasted, mm -hmm. uh, or I'm sorry, versus uh, branch chain amino acids. And I would also recommend it over fasted. I'm not a huge fan of fasted training. I just don't see the point. So if you're training super early and you can chug down BCAs, I'm sure you could chug down a whey protein shake. Like it's not going to be that, you know, if you get a whey protein isolated, zero fat, zero carb, 25 grams protein, it's like 100 calories. It's not like you're eating a full meal and you feel lethargic. Because if some people train at like five in the morning, you yep. know, but you could, uh, when I would train that early, sometimes, uh, I would literally have it like as I was warming up. So as I'm going into the workout mm -hmm. that way, it's like just literally while I'm walking the gym and some people are like, Oh, I got to eat an hour before the, maybe ideally, but you're going to be fine. Yeah. Like, unless you're like eating a big ass meal. Like I remember <laughs> there was times where some of the guys would be literally eating a meal while we're like rolling out and warming up. And I was just like, man, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Like, Oh, I haven't ate. I'm hungry. I'm just like, I throw up. up. Yeah. <laughs> I throw up. You know, it'd even be at night too. Oh. They just would be, we'd be busy all day working. I'm like, fuck that, man. I can't eat. And then train like that. But a, a whey protein shake is probably going to be more beneficial than aminos. Um, unless you get essential aminos. Um, but yeah, that's probably, I wouldn't waste the money. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question. Oh, I'm going to butcher this. Bupinder Thucker. 
Thucker, Thucker, whoa, whoa, is our muscle sensitive to protein after a workout? Yes. So, right. <laughs> I, I I don't know if like muscles being sensitive to protein is the right uh, scientific terminology. Yeah. But um, in a sense, yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple things that happen when we work or like. I've mentioned muscle protein synthesis already on this podcast. We want to spike that. Like that's basically our body's anabolic signal. When that goes up, our body has this anabolic response and and anabolism is growth. Catabolism is breakdown. So anabolism is like build muscle. Muscle protein synthesis goes up. So does growth. Um, One of the things that causes this is consuming protein. One of the things that causes this is working out um, and strength training. As we strength train, our body essentially – wants it, it's more receiving so i guess in a sense it is more sensitive mm-hmm. right it's kind of like insulin uh, sensitivity going up and you, your body can absorb carbohydrates a little bit better around your workout because you're more insulin sensitive especially post-workout very similar with um work uh, with protein and, and at the end of the day like when you train your body is searching for amino acids but the full spectrum amino acids that are found in like whey protein or regular protein um to help repair and rebuild i mean amino acids and proteins are literally the building blocks of muscle tissue it's what allows us to build muscle um so when we work out we do get a response but when we eat we get a response and when we're training we're breaking down muscle and so there's this uh muscle protein breakdown balance as we break down we want to rebuild yep so our body is kind of like trying to rebuild as we work out or after we work out so that's why it's so important to get protein in after your workout so in a sense yeah like i like i said i don't know if that's like sensitive yeah i don't yeah. know if sensitive is like the the terminology we would use um again i'd have to get brand on here to but it reacts to, but it reacts exactly yeah. and, and and it's required so i i think you could say that for sure all right good question um uh, next question is <laughs> Some people's names. <laughs> that's really my name. That's his we've had, we've had a lot of questions okay. from that's really my name. I want to know what your real name is. That's it. That that's. What if it is? No. Because there's uh, their name. I'm not gonna say he or she. Their name is that's. That's. I'm trying to think. There was a guy that we did Brazilian jiu-jitsu with. That it wasn't. It didn't. You didn't pronounce it that. But like. That was his shortened name was T-H-A-T. Hmm. And I can't remember what it was. That. All right. This guy's question anyway, is. It's a girl. Oh. <laughs> it is? Yeah. All right. Her. Thank you. Her question is, uh, your opinion on having kids in school learn the basics of training, i.e. form, recovery, nutrition, et cetera. Just for you guys to know, these are on a Word document, so Travis can't see your face. Yeah. So don't take that offensively. And, I mean, that's really your name. How are we supposed to know? Um, first of all, tell me your real name. Uh, second of all, I think, uh, I mean, my opinion on it, I don't know if I'm the person to give my opinions to the public school legislation, but it's still your opinion. Um, I would say, yeah, they should. I mean, (laughs) I think it's only positive. Yeah. I think all schools are kind of getting further and further away. I personally believe that the three things schools should do more of. One of them, it's already pretty good, but uh, social socializing. I mean, obviously, schools are very social places. Yeah. But I think that's honestly the biggest detriment of kids not being in school right now with COVID-19 going on is not necessarily that they're going to miss out on all this knowledge because, I mean, 
yeah, you learn stuff in school, but we can learn that shit anywhere. Internet. Internet, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the social aspect of seeing friends and being around other kids, I think, is super important, especially, like, when they're young. That's, like, how they develop, yep. you know? Um, so I think social aspect. I think uh, the fitness aspect should definitely be a part of it. I think that kids go through school without knowing anything about what real food is, what a protein is, what they need to be consuming, why are vitamins and minerals important, um, and being lazier and lazier as time goes on. So yeah. I think having more requirements there because I'm pretty sure PE has basically dwindled away as the years gone. Like, I mean, it used to be like required to run the mile every week. Yeah. You used to do like those rope climbs. Yeah. Like you actually had to be in decent shape. Yeah. Granted I wasn't, but point being is like, as you I still did it, I still did it and they yeah. forced me to do it. And as I went through school, it got like easier and easier because they took away more and more of it, you yeah. know? Um, but I definitely think it'd be smart. I think it'd be super helpful. Um, I think the other aspect would be getting kids outside more. I think uh, there's like some preschools that do it now to where like their school is literally outside. Like you go in the woods and you forage and you learn about like nature and shit like that. It's pretty trippy, but um, and then they teach you normal stuff too as well. But um, I think that's uh, I like that. it, the sun, the nature, all those things are really good for their development as well. So I think getting kids outside more, having kids socialize more and then having fitness in there, I think would be really smart, especially like she, she mentioned like form and technique. I think you're in PE and you have kids running around like playing handball. Yeah. Like you're running around throwing a ball at, which is fun. Yeah. Throwing a ball at kids. But like, why not take them through a dynamic warm up where you teach them how to like do a really good squat, do a really good push up, And that's good. That would lead to like, if, if, if they had every kid in P class do 50 pull aparts, 50 air squats, 50 push ups at the beginning of every class, their posture would be so much better. They'd be, have stronger joints and tendons. Yeah. And when they get into college in their later years, they'd just be in a better position. Yeah. They'd be healthier. I mean, you're already sitting at your desk the whole time yeah. in a hunched over position, like open them up. Um, but yeah, I think they should. I'm so negative about this, but I just like the, <laughs> the way society is now, I just feel like three quarters of the class would be 20 minutes late to class. Cause I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh like, dude, I skipped <laughs> PE class <laughs> all the time and, yeah. and weights and all that stuff. Par- yeah. Partially because I think I was like, I mean, I was kind of embarrassed to get in the weight room cause I never lifted. Yeah. So I was like, any way I can skip this, I will. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I think it, I think that would be the hardest part is getting kids to actually show up. Absolutely. And and the nutrition part I think is just unfortunately, I understand it but I don't understand it at the same time is the nutrition part is it's all about budget. Yeah. You know, it's expensive to have nutritious meals for the entire school. Yeah. But what I would say too is I almost think it's partially because the kids won't eat it and that's why they don't do it because I mean realistically they even have those pro- I tell you what, it, they would eat it if that's what, all there is. True. Yeah, but I mean the the thing is is they have those programs now where, um, you know they like deliver veggies and stuff, but they're like ugly. Yeah, you seen that? Like it's just like, oh, this pepper is like shaped weird, but it's still a great organic pepper. So they give it to you at a discount, and they'll deliver it to your door. It's really cool. I can't remember what it's called, but I mean stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. get fruits and vegetables that are like kind of weird looking, but they're still normal. So when you cut it up, you wouldn't even tell. Huh. Um, that would help. Like, I mean, and there's even programs that, uh, I mean, children's hunger fund, like we donate, uh, 2000 meals per, or maybe it's 2,500 meals per month. And, and that stuff is, is like focused on vitamins, minerals, nutritious foods for kids because they're doing it the right way. But they, because they're a corporation like that and public schools could do the same thing, I, I would assume they have 
big companies that are food production companies, like giving them insane discounts or sponsoring them to help them with this movement because they want to help too. And like, it's a good look on their company. Yeah. Like if they're helping students eat healthier, yeah. it just makes your company look better. Yeah. So I'm sure schools could find a way, but they could, I, I, agree. I totally agree with you. There's two things in my mind. Like there's so many schools, Yeah. so many schools. And then also if they can get an insane discount from those food companies, giving them nutritious foods. What's the discount they're getting from the, uh, companies yeah, that aren't nutritious true. food. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever the, you know, yeah. But yeah, dude, I don't know. That's, that's a, I don't know that answer. Yeah. yeah that's a tough one, man. Like, that's why it's uh, just an opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why, like, I remember at hot lunch, like there was that line that was like sandwich and salad and it was like empty, empty. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, you I want totally your lunch know. fast, go to that line. Yeah. And then like taco salad line is like out the door. Yep. Taco salad was fire. Stupid fire. <laughs> it was so good. Dude, and then they had like this, the little square miniature Domino's pizzas at the uh, yeah. snack bar. Yeah. Dude, fire. <laughs> the fruit the, punch can. It's really gross if you think about it too. Like uh, like that taco salad was just like mush meat with like Dude, Fritos on was, it. Oh my God. But I it was good. I know exactly what you're meaning. It was good for some reason. Well, yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Young kids. Yeah. Ugh, sometimes I think about the shit I used to eat. Dude, like, I, ate, I think I ate – this is so embarrassing. Uh, I think I ate the same meal at, at like, sophomore and junior year of high school for two years straight every day. <laughs> What's that, the pizza thing? The pizza, the fruit punch, and, like, a bag of Doritos. <laughs> so My dad gave me $6 for lunch every single day, and it was, like, four fifty for all of that, and I collected $1. fifty every day. <laughs> but I ate the same thing. Uh, yeah, that's that. so good. I, I definitely switched mine up. I was the big special guy. Oh, the special yeah. was yeah. Yankee dip, whatever you, what? whatever you're throwing out there. I'll get it. Yankee dip. Yeah. I eat like shit. And then Is I that like go, French dip. Dude, I would. Yeah. It's like French dip, but, um, instead of like roast beef, it's like burger patty. Whoa. It's good. It basically that. looks it's like good. a, it's like a cheeseburger on a hoagie. Like okay. It's, it's good. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I remember that. But you could dip it in all juice if you wanted yeah. to. But French dips fire super good we made that not that long ago yeah honestly but um fuck, i used to eat like uh frozen taquitos and shit yeah. so much yeah so gross yeah that's cool no at home oh yeah just go home and absolutely demolish freezer food i ate really bad yeah i mean i was fat so makes sense there you go a and B together. That was like uh, people ask me sometimes, like what my uh, like when I first lost weight, like what well, what were the things that like you did to help you look, lose weight? I was like, I literally just stopped eating freezer food and drinking pop. Like I didn't train, I didn't do anything. I just stopped eating that shit and I started drinking Diet Mountain Dew instead of Mountain Dew, and I like instantly lost ten pounds in like two weeks. <laughs> it's just like immediately <laughs> started my journey like on a good foot. Damn, this is easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Obviously, you plateau after a while and you have to figure shit out, but yeah, but. For a lot of people, it can be super simple. One, li- one little aspect. Yeah. Anyway. All right. We'll keep going. Uh, next one is from Gavin Desaras. Gavin <laughs> Gavin's Desaras. I don't think you Dude. can. I don't think you can get better at pronouncing names either. Like, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. To like go practice names. Yeah. <laughs> you can't like. I mean, I I'm gonna go get a list of. Go the, get a yearbook and just. Read. <laughs> You'll get a list of the uh, the people that ask the most questions and just practice their names. Yeah. Hey, go to my followers and just yeah. start reading their usernames <laughs> <laughs> for practice. 17, 20 000. minutes a day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, suggestions or su- advice for someone who isn't 
in a position to afford a coach or mentor? I think this one ebooks. I mean ebooks, there's seminars and workshops you can go to. Maybe you can't afford a, a monthly coaching fee, but you can afford a hundred dollar workshop that gives you an ebook, some PDFs and like four videos to watch. Yeah. Um I, I, I mean I think that at the end of the day it's like go learn. Yeah. Like there's just so much shit on the internet. And, yeah. and if I really think about like my mentors, the vast majority of them don't even know who I am. It's honestly like I just buy their products. I listen to their seminars. They don't even do coaching. You know what I mean? They're, like your mentors. Yeah. Like they're mentors from afar. Like if you think about like Eric Helms, for example, he, I mean, now he knows who I am because we're doing a podcast next week, but he, I mean, I've been studying his stuff since 2012 Yeah, and we never had a relationship, That's true. but I buy every product he puts out. I buy every book he puts out. I read all the stuff. I listen to his interviews because he has a knowledge that I strive to attain. Yep. So I just follow and listen and learn yep. all the time. Um, and that goes for everybody. Gary J. White. He doesn't know who the hell I am. I don't know who he is. I mean, I've seen him speak live, yeah. but I consume all of his content because yeah. he lives a life in a way that I want to follow. So I do what he does. I, I think how he thinks. I try to, at least I learn from him. So I think a lot of times it's like, just like whoever you are idolizing. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a good way. Like somebody who is living the type of life and has the type of career, or has the body or whatever it is that you have study them. Like, what do they do? Why do they do it? How do they do it? Who do they hang out with? What's their environment like? What are they reading? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a big one for me is I would just ask, like, I would ask people that all the time. Like, what are you reading right now? And they would tell me and I just buy books. Yeah. Like I get recommendations on Instagram and I go on Amazon right away and just add them to the list. Like so many books I haven't read yet, but I want to know what other people are reading because they have something I want. Yeah. So I'm just going to read what they read. Yeah. Um, and then I'd also say this too, like, why can't you afford it? Figure that out because I personally believe that coaching and mentoring is so valuable that it's like, if, if you truly value it, you will find a way to pay for it. So look at like, I mean, we can all sit here and go, okay, what am I spending money on that I don't need to spend money on? Like if I cut out all the rock stars and Starbucks. Need. <laughs> what? Need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought you said weed. I was like, I, <laughs> oh I, was like, I, I don't smoke, man. <laughs> but No, you said what? What, what could you, I cut out that I don't need to exactly. spend? Exactly. So, like, if you look at that, like, shit, I could save a couple hundred bucks a month on just just stupid stuff I yeah. buy that I enjoy drinking Rockstar every day. Yeah. But, like, seven Rockstars a week. Yeah. I literally do drink. I want to – I mean, yeah. Do, do I, I want to drink water or do I want to have a coach? Yeah. yeah. I mean, simple as that. Um, or I'm going to opt for black coffee today because I can buy a huge bag of that and, and I have a coffee maker in the, <laughs> in the office. Yeah. But um, – so, like, looking at your budget, saving money there, like, I mean, do you have, like, I, we did this. I was like, we have HBO Go, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and Hulu. Why? <laughs> I want it. <laughs> we, we don't need all these. Yeah. So, like, which ones do we watch? Cut out the rest. Yeah. And we kept Prime, and then I uh, hopped onto my stepmom's Netflix account. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, boom, I just saved fucking 75 bucks a month. Yep. But, like. A lot of times, like there's, I mean, there's just people that have subscriptions that they don't even think about, you yeah. know? So most people could save a lot of money on just little things like that. And then usually I've never met anybody who, um, hired a mentor, not necessarily a fitness coach. Cause I'm sure there are people can say that this didn't happen for them, but most times I think of fitness as well. Cause you just develop as a person. Um, I've never met anybody who hired a mentor and didn't make more money afterwards Yeah, because you become more productive, you become more appreciative, more grateful, you become more motivated, you do more shit, yep. and you essentially end up 
working more or better or smarter or faster and making more money. Like yep. even um, if it's not a business coaching setting. Yeah. And two things is if you are, well, first off, if you're going to hire a coach and you can't afford it and you make a way to afford it, then you're going to take it seriously. Oh, hundred percent. Cause if you can't afford it and you're still going to do it, then you're not going to just not. And then that's going to lead to be able to make more money. But then I'm also going to speak for the people that literally cannot afford it. It goes back to if you cannot afford it, but you have that fire underneath you to learn that stuff, but you can't afford it. Again, follow that person, get whatever you can for free. Mm -hmm. There's so much out there for free that if you cannot afford it because you have a lack of income and you still want it that bad, get it. I mean, you could literally turn in a question every single week and you would get my answer on a podcast every single week and it could be mindset or stress or whatever related yeah then like we could read the same person over and over again i'm not even saying it's this person that's answering this question but if they're asking you questions they can go on your website and get it for free exactly 100 percent. yeah and if there's more questions that come up you can turn it in and we'll answer it again and and i'm not the only person that does that. exactly yeah there's a lot of people that are following i mean they are obviously following you but like you said these other people that you follow and strive to be like that, maybe that's not you for them, but mm-hmm. there's other people that they probably are following to strive to be like, but they also have free content. Yeah. I'm assuming because so, a lot of people have free content. So like, um, Brendan Burchard is like a really successful coach. Um, he's called the high performance coach. Um, I bought his planner and his book for 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. No, it was, it was $17 to the planner and I paid like four ninety nine for shipping the book was free. I just had to pay shipping. And then when I got the book, he also gave me this audio series. And then that came with like a video course. Yeah. And I don't know him, but I have his planner that guides me through a daily journal practice. I have his book and then I have his audio series and I have a video course if I want to. Like that's months of mentoring yeah. essentially and learning and knowledge from him for 20 bucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's ways you just have to like, you just have to go out of your way to find it. And, and I mean, the first non-training coach I ever had that I really invested money in. So there's two, two ways here. The one, first one I invested money in, my first reaction was like, I can't afford that. But it, I valued it so much that I figured out a way to afford it. And I was like, I'll, I got to make more money once that happens yeah. because otherwise I can't keep doing this. And I figured out a way yeah. because when he told me to do something, I took it very seriously because I was like, I'm not blowing this opportunity, this money. So like you said, if you can barely afford it and you go in, you're going to utilize that yeah. shit. And then the other side of it was the very first mentor, uh, first two mentors were free. But the first one I was like, he was a college teacher. So I changed my degree to mentor with him. And then the second one was Luca and I just worked for free. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm 18, dude. I can't, I can't pay for coaching, but what do I need to do to learn and, and do what you do? And he was like, you can do an internship. So I worked for free for three or four months, like just learning and grinding and cleaning the bathrooms and shit. Like. That's essentially he, I mean, that was a mentor, you know yeah. what I mean? I didn't pay a dollar, but I put in effort with what he needed help with yep. and, and, and obviously grew into a coach at his gym. But, um, yeah, I think there's plenty of routes around it. Like, I don't think you always have to pay, but I would say there's a, there's a, a really big value inside of paying because that's a super big form of accountability. Absolutely. Like when you pay for something, <clears throat> like you make shit happen. Yeah. So. I agree. I thought I can, I can relate to it too in a, in a different, you know, with video and yeah, you know, in that aspect, but just like, I just didn't, at one point I didn't want to pay for formal coaching or formal mentorship or anything. So I 
did what I was saying is I went out and got all the free information, all the free YouTube videos. And literally when it was presented to me is like, do you want to do this and go learn it? If you don't, then don't. Yeah. So either pay somebody to get a mentorship or get some formal training or go find it for free. And I think like you're a great example of, of like actually paying somebody provides a new sense of accountability too, because um, I mean, when you started with Andreas, like mm-hmm. you weren't a hundred percent sold on coaching, but I was like, I'm going to invest in yeah. this so you can do it. Yeah. Cause I think you'll, I think you'll find the value once you start. Yeah. And you told me the other day, you're like, oh, I'm going to keep doing it with them. Absolutely. And that's on you. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, and, and I, that coaching pushes you to study the stuff that is free even more yeah. and, and actually go through it. Cause like you said, like you can take in this free information, but if you don't do anything with it, that's on you. Yeah. Like the information will present itself, but it's not going to do the work for you. Yeah. And I think that's where like the difficult part comes into play and somebody needs to be there to be like, yo, did you do what you said you were going to do? Yeah. Like that's accountability. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is super powerful, but dope. That dope. was a good answer. Yeah. All right. Next one is from Paula Jean 2030. Dreaming here. But what do we do when the gym reopens? I want to go hard in the paint, but I'm also 43. <laughs> hard in the paint. Hard in the paint. You remember that song? I mean, I think. Is it like... It's, uh, it's either Waka Flocka or it's Rick Ross. Hard in the paint. Look it up. I'm pretty sure it's Rick Ross. Maybe Waka's in it. By the way, I hate Waka Flocka. I mean, he's probably a fine person, but... Yeah, I saw him in concert. It was... Give me so many migraines. <laughs> <laughs> so many migraines. Yeah, he just is obnoxious, man. Oh, yeah, it is Waka. Yeah, I go hard in the paint. I think that new that new flames or new no hands or no hands. Yeah, yeah. By uh, him and Roscoe Dash. Yes. Um, Tyga has a remix to Hard in the Paint that's dope. Oh, but Waka's not even in it. It's just the beat, which is why it's good. Um, but uh. First recommendation. What do we do when gyms open? Do not go hard in the paint. That is the first recommendation, um, which, by the way, has nothing to do with you being 43. Um, I have clients who are 43 that would destroy my 23-year-old clients. Like It, it has nothing – and I have the opposite too, but I shouldn't say age has nothing to do with it because a 23-year-old athlete has – you know, that advantage of being young and less wear and tear on his body. But at the end of the day, like that's not going to stop you from training hard. Like you'll be fine. But, um, taking a big off period. I mean, it's been, we've been in quarantine for a month, right? <laughs> at least, at least. No, a month. I, I would say six. No. Yeah, it is because Blakely's birthday was the 14th, which is a Saturday. And that next week was when all that shit happened, which was March 20th. Yeah. So it's it over was a be, month. It was, be, yeah. Over a month. Like five weeks. Yeah. Five weeks, let's say we have another, I think some gyms in the country will open over the next few weeks, just depending on like where you're located. But let's say you're somewhere between most likely the eight to 12 week mark of not being in the gym training hard, going from that to training hard in the paint with the gym, like weights will just destroy you. It goes back to that whole stimulus to fatigue ratio. Your fatigue will be so high. Yeah, your stimulus will be high too, but your fatigue will be so high that you won't be able to get back to the gym. So I would recommend like go light, deload, and, and kind of have an intro week. Spend that first week kind of like easing into it and essentially deload your training because deloading your training is still going to be a greater stimulus than you doing body weight and band workouts in your living room. It's going to be a way bigger stimulus because you have external load. So even if you right then are like, I usually do 
200 pounds right now i'm only doing 175 or even if you're like i still feel like i have three in tank just leave it because that's a stimulus and just ease into it like there's no rush you know what i mean like um ease into it and then uh progressively lower your rir essentially reps and reserve and and kind of progressively increase your load as you go otherwise you're going to go in and you're going to do like an upper lower day and then just be smashed for five days and not be able to get back to the gym until the next week i'd rather go easy and have a higher frequency and then as the weeks go on, you kind of pick back up. I know for me, like even after like surgery, when I spent that much time off the gym, I had to be super careful about yeah. what I did. Cause not because I was going to injure myself, but because I just would be so drained yeah. and just taxed. I wouldn't recover both man. Yeah. And, and obviously the injury risk goes up as you get fatigued too. So, yeah. but, but yeah, don't go hard in the paint. That's probably not the answer. <laughs> hard in the paint from Paula Jean. <laughs> All right. Next question. This is your last question for the day. Is uh, Jamie Helton? Is it necessary to re- uh, is it necessary to keep reducing calories to be in a deficit, or can diet breaks combat that? Good question. Um, but it's a good question. I think it's a it's a misconception about diet breaks. Um, do you need a further deficit to continue losing weight? Yes. I mean the the when your weight loss stalls, you need to create a bigger deficit to lose more weight. Um, Having a diet break isn't going to increase weight loss unless you temporarily improve stress. But that's not a way to – it doesn't eliminate the need for a calorie deficit, right? You still need that deficit. Otherwise, we'd just be taking diet breaks all the time and we'd be lean. That's not the case. Um, When you're dieting, you're going to get to a point where your metabolism does kind of adapt and your body starts to adapt and you're going to need to create a bigger deficit. So you either need to – Get more sleep, which would also reduce stress. But essentially, when you get more sleep, you also burn more calories and improve your metabolism. Um, You're going to need to either train harder, uh, do more cardio, get more steps, or you're going to have to pull food. You you have to figure out a way to create a deficit no matter what. A diet break is simply there to manage fatigue during the diet. So we take a diet break to mitigate physical, physiological, and psychological stress on the body. So as we have less food and we're training hard still, our body, our muscular system can't recover as well. Um, the psychology behind just having to diet is just gets kind of wearing on you. And then last but not least, you have these hormonal adaptations. Taking a diet break can potentially kind of alleviate those things. It doesn't remove them. It just alleviates it. And then you can get back to the deficit. So a, a diet break doesn't eliminate the need for a deficit. It just allows you to prolong your deficit. So how long, how much longer can you stay on this diet without completely rebounding and gaining weight back? Um, doing a diet break will allow you to prolong that diet and keep seeing results with less stress. Um, but nothing can remove the fact that you just need a deficit. Like yep. that's just, that's Some just way, part of it. Form. Yeah. Dope. Dope. We have Good one more. Answer. We have one more, right? Let's let's in, let's finish that one, that longer one. Um, we'll cap oh. out with that. You want to read it? Yeah, I can read it. I already read it earlier. So, uh, Emily Shoop. It's either Shoop or Shoopy, or Shup. I am starting week two of a twelve-week cut that will last until July fourth. Female. So she probably asked this a few weeks ago. Sorry. Female, 23 years old, 158 pounds. Calories are set to 1750, uh, 160 protein, 55 fat, 153 carb. You should probably just make that 155 carb. That that's like an OCD thing. Yeah. I mean, I hate that. Like, like 164 grams of protein. Just make 165. You're not getting exactly 153 anyway. We don't know. Uh, this is the first serious cut, quote unquote. 
that I am doing as I tried to cut previously, but had some issues with consistency. I've done some mindset work to help it here and I'm in a much better spot mentally, which I highly recommend people doing. Get yourself there mentally before you jump into a diet. My question is centered around how I periodize training. I started lifting weights two and a half years ago, doing boot camp style workouts two to three times a week with two days of cardio. I did that for a, a year and a half. I did Orange Theory Fitness for six months after that before I started focusing on strength training. I got bored with repetitive lifts and now follow a program that is a five-day split. Legs, upper body, hit cardio, back and chest, full body. Sometimes I do a six-day and train legs twice. Movements are reps and varied movements are reps i'm assuming she means and movements and reps are varied week to week but volume is in the 8 to 15 rep range i am interested in doing hypertrophy program after my cut and want to follow a tailored coaching method program oh dope what program would you recommend i didn't read the whole question for this for best results should i wait until i finish my cut to start a new training program thank you so much uh for all that you share so um all right emily here we go yeah a couple <laughs> things first and foremost um i don't think your program should change whether you're cutting or bulking um, or trying to build muscle or maintaining or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, like the best program during a cut is the program that's going to help you maintain strength in muscle to the greatest degree during that cut. Yeah. Um, so changing your training up won't, won't really do anything good for you. Um, the only thing that's going to happen when you get out of a deficit, you're going to lift heavier. So technically volume will be a little bit higher. Um, so I wouldn't recommend changing things. Now, what program I would recommend in the tailored coaching method um, is if you're talking about an ebook, if you want to train five days a week, go with functional muscle two. Um, if you want the option of training four, five, or six, go with built for you because it can allow you to adjust. But ultimately, I would join the tailored trainer because then you can get access to TrueCode. You get access to me in the portal to answer questions and critique the program in your form. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's a community full of people that are getting better. And it's, it's daily workouts done for you. Um, but inside there, there's a couple programs that I would recommend. One is the female physique and that one is a five day split and it is uh, lower upper push pull legs. Um, and actually it's lower upper legs push pull. And the reason I do that is because on the pull day, you also have deadlifts because we're hitting glutes three times a week. Um, and we are hitting more upper back shoulders, glutes, hamstrings, like all the, the body parts women typically want to develop. Um, and then the other program I'd recommend is the modified conjugate method for females. And that is a more performance oriented program working on strength, but there's a lot of hypertrophy aspects in there and it does still cater to the, the body parts that a female likes to train most. Um, but either way, the, the biggest thing that you're seeing here from what I'm recommending compared to what you're doing is that your split is kind of, it doesn't really make sense. Like you have a, a lower upper day and then a push pull full body. So as especially as a female, your biggest muscle groups are your legs. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get leaner, train your legs, but you're doing one leg day and one full body day. So you're doing like one and a half leg days, but you're doing three upper body days and then a half upper body day on the full body. Um, doesn't really make sense. Evenly no. spread it out. So either do an upper lower or do, like I said, lower upper legs, push pull, which is going to evenly spread out everything as well. More volume across the whole body. Um, as a natural lifter, you're probably going to just want more frequency. When you have more frequency throughout the week, you have that response to build muscle more often. And it's easier to spread out your volume without smashing yourself. Because if you do all your volume in one day, you're, you're A, you're past the threshold where you're seeing benefit. You're kind of having diminishing returns. And B, that, that fatigue ratio is super high. So you're more fatigued than you are actually stimulating growth. Uh, but if you 
divvy up that same volume across the week, you're going to get way more out of it. Yeah. So I would just bump up your, your frequency. And then as far as like periodization with it, I mean, there's a million ways you can spend it. Usually with, with hypertrophy or aesthetic goals, I like using a, uh, a, like a classic linear progression for compound lifts. So maybe week one is, uh, you're doing sets of eight and then week two is sets of seven, week three is sets of six, week, uh, four is sets of five. And then you come back to eight you're basically just dropping volume and increasing intensity. You're lowering reps and increasing load. Um, it's a, just a normal linear progression. You just cycle the same compound lifts for 12 to 16 weeks so you can progress on those with strength. And then your accessory work and isolation work changes every three to four weeks as well, but you're doing double progression. So if you're doing a hip thrust, you do a hip thrust from eight to 10 reps. Week one, you're doing three sets of eight at 150 pounds. Week two, you're doing like nine, nine reps, nine reps, eight reps. Like point being, you're, you're trying to work till you can get all three sets with 10 gotcha. where you used to do three sets of eight with it. Yeah. Um, so you're progressing by reps over time, which is going to accumulate volume, um, without adding any load or stress on the joint. Um, and that's my favorite for, for hypertrophy or aesthetics is like you have your compound lifts that you're doing a linear progression with, and then your isolation accessory, you're doing a double progression with, um, and just kind of working on those ranges. Um, but if you do that and you just have that small amount of periodization. You really don't have to change anything. You just cycle that linear periodization of your compounds. You have the, the double progression method for your isolation accessory work. And you just change those exercise selections when you stop progressing, whether that's three weeks or six weeks. Um, and then you keep going. And I think that's a big mistake. A lot of people make because they see periodization and they're like, I have to change things all the time. And it's like, well, with training, if you're trying to just build muscle, I mean, I use this example, this is week nine for me. And we just changed some exercises this week. Because I got bored, <laughs> not even because I wasn't progressing, but I was just like, Hey, I'm going to switch a couple things. Cause I just need to stimulate my mind. So I'm changing a grip. I'm changing like pull-ups to ring chin-ups, but nothing crazy. And like for eight weeks straight, I kept the exact same movements across the board because I was progressing. So mm -hmm. why change something if it's working? Yeah. Um, and I think people get too antsy unless you for get, that. Unless you get stagnant. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and some people get stagnant sooner than others. Um, and, and for some people, I just change their program every three to four weeks, like small things, because I know they won't stay motivated in the gym. And that's a good reason too, but you should keep some of the stuff that you really want to see progress um, and just have a very simple periodization, especially if your goal is fat loss. The main thing you just have to make sure is you're getting your volume in. For sure. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more again to get you better results. The second thing, Head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. 
All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here, and I'll see you next time.